You are listening to the podcast of Central Church of the Nazarene in Flint, Michigan. Anyone survived Snowmageddon 2014? Hooray! You could get out of your driveway this Sunday, unlike last Sunday. Hooray! I survived. Carla was in, in Kansas City this week when Snowmageddon hit. And so she ended up having to stay a couple of extra days, which was, which was bad. She called me, though, and asked me how I was doing. And, you know, she's very concerned about my diet. And I shouldn't have admitted this, I later learned. Um, but I told her, I, she said, what have you been eating for dinner? I said, well, I've had Cocoa Krispies the last three nights. Which Cocoa Krispies are great. They are a great breakfast dinner of champions. She said, Rob, you can cook. You need to cook something. So I thought, okay. So the next day, I, the, you know, we're staying in, thankfully, in a, in a borrowed condo. People were very generous. And so I went looking around. They had a crock pot. I thought if you just put anything in a crock pot, you know, it'll come out tasting great. And so I put in all the things that I like. I put in meat. I like meat. I put in carrots. I like carrots. I put in frozen French fries. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> it was horrible. Do not have French fry crock pot dinner. It did not come out tasting great. I don't know. Carla, I'm so glad you're here. All right. Well, last week, for the 12 of you that were here, we started our sermon series called Greater Things. We got this all up. Greater Things. That's a song we've been singing. Greater Things in our city and Greater Things. We believe this series really is talking about how God can do greater things in your life, in our church, in our community, in the city. God can do greater things. And we get this, this theme for greater things from the words of Jesus on three different occasions in the gospel according to John. Jesus uses that phrase, greater things. Last week we started off in John chapter 1 in a conversation that Jesus has with Nathaniel. It's really a powerful conversation because Nathaniel does this quantum a quantum leap paradigm shift in his life where he went from saying, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? To moving and shifting to saying, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. It's a powerful, powerful moment. And Jesus went up to, to Nathaniel at, at that moment. He said, Nathaniel, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You're going to see greater things than that. In other words, he's saying, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. Nathaniel, I know you. And you may not really know me, but I know you. I know who you are. I know what, what gets you going. I, I know what dreams and hopes and visions you have. But if you hang out with me, Nathaniel, you stay close to me, you, you, you follow after me, the best is yet to come. Greater things are still to come. And, and just for a point of reference, Jesus still offers that same invitation, the same invitation that he gave to Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. He offers to you, follow me. Which incidentally is different from you saying to Jesus, hey Jesus, you want to follow me? You can tag along with me in my life a little bit. No, Jesus called to them as he calls to us, very same invitation, follow me. And when we do that, when we accept that invitation and decide to follow him, that's when we'll see these greater things, God at work in our lives in powerful and glorious ways. Well, that was last week. For those of you who are here, this week we're moving into the next time Jesus uses that phrase. And it's to a far different audience than in John chapter 1 with Nathaniel. This time in John chapter 5, he uses that phrase to his critics. Now before we get there, we've got to really understand what's going on in John chapter 5. And John chapter 5 contains one of my favorite uh, miracle stories in the gospel according to John. It's the time when Jesus healed a lame guy at a place called Bethesda. A guy who had been lame for 38 years. 
Hear the story. In John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're in your New Testament, that's where we'll find it. Here we go. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there as an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes in ahead of me. Then Jesus asked him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who had been healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped into the crowd that was there later. Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Okay, let's stop right there. I love this story because Jesus goes to the herding. We're told that this takes place at the Sheep Gate or the Bethesda just inside the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. It's interesting, you know, the Lamb of God goes through the Sheep Gate. The, the great shepherd is at the Sheep Gate. Jesus goes to the, where the herding are because in, in John chapter 5, verse 3, we're told that that, that there were a number of disabled people used to lie there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. The Sheep Gate, Bethesda, it was not uh, a place on the, the tourist attractions of Jerusalem. It was not a must-see site. It looked a lot more like an emergency room than a health spa. It was at the, the pool of Bethesda, but there, there was all these sick and lame folks laying all around. No doubt, it was a little bit depressing. This week, I went to, to my brand-new neurologist, um, you know, when you move to a new area, you've got to get new doctors, whatever. And so, and, and if you've got all the junk that I've had, you know, brain hemorrhage and migraines and Botox and blah, 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 you've got to find a neurologist. And you become very, very good friends with your neurologist. So this was my initial visit to my neurologist. And I walked into her office. It was very nice. You know, uh, they had, they had, I've never seen this in a doctor's office. She had a, 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 a one of those huge couches, what do you call those things, you know, a sectional couch, and it was all in there, leather couch, and so I just whoo, sat down. And you know how it is when you go into the doctor's office, you kind of check out all the other patients that are there, and you're looking at them. You don't want to get too close to somebody who's, you know, whatever. And so, so I'm looking at all these people. Now, I, in spite of what I tell Carla, I'm not, you know, um, uh, the, the greatest physical specimen that there ever was. Carla believes that. Shh, don't tell her. But... So I'm looking around at all these other people. You know, and it's a neurologist's office. So, so there's, there was people there, uh, you know, to my untrained eye, probably had a stroke. There's other people there that had, had other kind of physical ailments. I, was, I think I was probably the healthiest looking person in the group. And so I'm just sitting there looking at all these people. The TV was up a little loud. I think the receptionists were watching Oprah or something. And it was, you know, but it was nice. It was fine. It was great. There was no bad smells. There was not, you know, it's America and it's a doctor's office. And we were all there waiting to see the doctor. No problem. Would have been far, far different from in Bethesda first century. Because the Bible tells us that there were all, this is where all the lame people and sick people and paralyzed people would hang out. And so imagine that scene for us. You know, they didn't know anything about germs. They didn't know anything about diseases. So imagine the, the smells 
If you're like me, smells and me don't go together real well. Ugh. And imagine the sight. You could, you could probably feel the hopelessness in that area. That's where all the sick people would go. And interestingly, that's where we find Jesus. What does that tell you about Jesus? It tells us that he goes to where the hurting are. He goes to where the helpless are. He goes to where the hopeless are. That's where you find Jesus. That's still true today. Jesus goes to where the hurting are, whether that's in a, a lonely corridors of a nursing home or a hospital or a funeral home, or if it's a skyscraper that's busy, or if it's a rescue mission, Jesus goes wherever there's hurting people. Doesn't matter. He goes there. He was going there in the first century. So Jesus shows up in this hurting, helpless place. He even sometimes shows up in church, believe it or not. You know, this is the first time that we've all been together, it seems like, in forever because of all the crazy weather. And I know you looked out your window today and said, well, I'm going to go to church. And you got on, you know, your church clothes or whatever. And you came and we all come to church and we all look good and we look nice and we look together and we look happy. But here's what I've discovered. Some of us who gathered today, who are here in this room, are going through a lot of junk too. And it may not look like Bethesda. It may not smell like Bethesda. There might not be flies buzzing around like at Bethesda. But there's hurting and lonely and troubled people right here, right in this very room. I tell churches in, in groups of this size, if, a group this size, if you can think it, then probably somebody in this room is going through it. Whatever the hang-up, whatever the hurt, whatever the sin, whatever the habit, whatever the trouble, whatever the disease, whatever the sickness, if you can think about it, probably somebody in this room is dealing with it on some level. Maybe in your life, maybe in a friend's life, maybe in a, in a co-worker's life, but you're dealing with it. And the good news is, is that Jesus still comes to the hurting. He still comes to the, the struggling. He still comes to those who are, who are battling addictions. And if that's you today, if you're troubled, if you're sick, if your uh, relationships are messed up, if you are hurting in one form or another, if your past is, is, keeps coming back to you and haunting you, if that describes you or any other thing, you came to the right place. Why? Because Jesus is here. And Jesus still goes to the hurting. And Jesus still can work miracles even today. You came to the right place. Well, Jesus shows up at Bethesda and he starts to look around and he sees this guy who'd been sick and invalid for 38 years. Imagine that, 38 years. That's a long time, 38 years. 38 years ago was 1976. In 1976, Gerald Ford was president. In 1976, the bionic woman and the gong show made their TV debuts. In 1976, O.J. Simpson was still running a football for the Buffalo Bills, and Hank Aaron was still hitting home runs. 1976, that's a long time ago. We were getting ready to celebrate the bicentennial. 1976, 38 years. That's a long, long time. And this guy had been an invalid for 38 years. That word invalid is kind of a generic term, so we don't really know exactly what he had probably some sort of paralysis because he couldn't get into the pool and he couldn't lift up his mat and Jesus tells him to get up and walk. But we don't know a lot about him. All we know is he'd been in this condition for 38 years. We don't even know his name. John doesn't even tell us his name. We don't know his parents. We don't know his status in life. We don't know if he's married. Is he not married? Does he have children? Does he have grandkids? We don't know any of that. What we know, 38 years he'd been in this condition. 
I think for some of us, that's hard for us to really grasp a hold of. You know, we read this story in John chapter 5, and it takes us about 38 seconds. Well, he had been sick for 38 years. And I think that's exactly why John told us this story. John wanted us to know that this is an impossible type of miracle. He had been sick for 38 years. But it wasn't impossible for Jesus. And Jesus came in and worked 38 years. It's a long time to struggle. It's a long time to wake up every single day and think I'm not going to be better than the day before. After 38 years of being in this condition, I would think that one would get pretty hopeless. And I tell you all that to say, do you know what the life expectancy was in the first century? It's about 33 years. Today in the world, life expectancy is 66 years. In the United States, it's 79 years. If you want to live longer, go to Japan or Switzerland because their life expectancy is 83 years. But in the first century, it was about 30, 33. And this guy had been sick for 38 a lifetime. He'd been sick a lifetime. Waking up, same day, same thing as the last day, knowing that he's not getting any better. There's three things that Jesus says to this guy in John chapter 5 that just jump out at you. If you have a red letter a version of the Bible that you use and the words of Jesus are written in red, it just kind of jumps out. And the first thing Jesus says to him might sound a little odd, kind of a dumb question you'd think oh my land Jesus that's a that's the craziest question ever so the very first thing Jesus says to this guy had been sick for 38 years do you want to get well what kind of question is that you expect him to say are you kidding me I've been sick for 38 years do I want to get well of course I want to get well I've been seeing my friends life expectancy 33 years my friends have been dying every every day it seems like for the last 33 years do I want to get well of course I want to get well what kind of question is that but maybe that question wasn't as lame as it appears because maybe, just maybe, Jesus recognized that this guy had, had lost all hope for ever getting well. Maybe he had gotten to the place where he couldn't dream of being well again. Maybe he had just gotten so used to being sick, that's what he thought would always be. Maybe his faith, in other words, was as crippled as his legs. And Jesus approached him and said, do you want to get well? Do you want to be better? And you'll notice this guy's answer, it's a yes or no question, right? Do you want to get well? Yes, I want to be well. No, thank you. I'd rather stay an invalid for the rest of my life. It's a very simple question. You want to get well? Yes or no? But this guy didn't hear that question. What he heard from Jesus is, why aren't you well? And you know that's what he heard because of the way he responds. He doesn't respond. Yes, Jesus, I'd like to be well. No, thank you, Jesus. I'd rather stay here and be sick the rest of my life. He responds by giving excuses. He responds by telling Jesus why he's not well. He says, well, I, I can't get in the water. The water's are stirred. And when the water's stirred, I don't get in first. And somebody else jumps in before me. And so I don't have anybody here to help me. And so that's why I'm not well. And I understand this. I don't want to take too much of time. To, there was a superstition that an angel would come and stir up the waters. And when the waters were stirred, the first guy in the pool uh, got healed. That was the, the idea. And so it's kind of like, you know... If you're at the city pool and everybody has to get out because something's floating in the pool and everybody's there and then they, and then they, and then finally, 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 the lifeguard blows his whistle and says, whoo, everybody in the pool. And it's, That's what it's like. You know, hey, did I see something? The water stirred. But this guy, we learned something more about this guy. Not only is he hopeless and helpless, he doesn't have any friends. 
Jeez, no one, no, one, no one helps me in the pool. I've been here for 38 years, hoping, just hoping that maybe if that, if that superstition is true, and maybe if, if I were to get in the water, then I'd be healed. But Jesus, I've been here for 38 years, and no one helps me, and here I am. Do I want to get well? Are you kidding me? Of course I want to get well. 38 years. I think Jesus comes to us and asks us the very same thing. I don't think it's a lame question at all. He comes to us and says, do you really want to get well? And I know a lot of times we say, well, of course. I want to be better, of course. I don't want to be hindered by this habit, of course. I don't want to be sick, of course. I don't want to have these memories haunting me, of course. I want to be well. Do you really? See, there's ramifications for this guy in, in, in chapter 5 to be well. The ramification was, if he is healed, then he's going to have to change his life. He's going to have to get up and walk. He's, he's, what, is a, what does a lame guy do for 38 years? He begs. Well, if he can walk, he doesn't need to beg anymore. So he's probably going to have to get a job. His life is going to be forever changed. Do you want to get well? And Jesus comes to us and says the same thing. Do you want to get well? And more than likely, if you answer affirmatively, yes, I want to get well, that may mean that there's some changes that have to take place in your life. You don't have to clean up your life for Jesus to come in and speak to you. You don't have to, to do anything. It's just like the old song, Just As I Am. Jesus doesn't come to you and say, okay, you've got to do this and that and the other thing, and then I'll work in your life. No. But he does come to us come and say, hey, do you want to be well? Are you willing for me to work in your life? That may mean that some changes will take place. Do you want to break that habit? Do you really want me to work? That may mean that you're going to have some changes that come. There is a book written, ah, I think about five or six years ago now, and, it, and it's called um, Change or Die. Not a great, this is not the uplifting part of the sermon, let me tell you. <laughs> That's the title, I got to find the quote here. Um, it's a, written by a guy named Alan Deitchman, and, and he played off his very first, the excerpt that I read from the book, is plays off the opening title, Change or Die. It says, what if you were given that choice for real? What if a well-informed, trustworthy authority figure said you had to make difficult and enduring changes in the way you think, feel, and act? And if you didn't, you'd die. According to Deitchman, the, the odds are 9 to 1 against you. That, again, not very uplifting. 9 to 1. 9 to 1 that you're not going to change, you're going to die. And his whole book, the whole premise, is based on a survey of 1.5 million Americans who, who went through uh, coronary bypass surgery, angioplasty. And, and angioplasty is kind of a temporary fix. If you don't change your lifestyle, then, then if you just keep doing what you've always done, then it's going to come back. The problems are going to come back. And patients were told they had to do five things. They, they had to smoke less, drink less, eat less, uh, exercise more, relieve more stress. If they did those five things and those five behaviors, then, then more than likely it would help and, and they would be better. But Dr. Edward Miller, the dean of Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, medical school, he said this, if you look at people after coronary artery bypass two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle at all. In other words, according to Deitchman, 90% would rather die than change. Again, I know this isn't the most encouraging part of the sermon, but hang with me. Do you want to give you well? Sometimes folks have to hit rock bottom before they come to that conclusion. 
I think 38 years of seeing uh, uh, your friends come and go and die, that, that gets you to the place of rock bottom. I told you my family story. My dad was an alcoholic. It was rock bottom for him was when my mom said, listen, buddy, you either change or you're out. <laughs> rock bottom. I've known other alcoholics where rock bottom was, was getting arrested for DUI and spending the night in jail and then saying, what in the world? What am I doing? I've known porn addicts who just, you know, looked at themselves in the mirror one day and said, who are you? What are you doing with your life? Rock bottom. I've known people who've dealt with anger issues and punched a hole in the wall and they look back afterwards and say, who does this? Who punches holes in walls? Rock bottom. I don't know what your rock bottom is. I don't know what it takes to get you there, but sometimes it takes people to get rock bottom before they finally admit, yes, I, need, I, I really do need you to work in my life, Lord. I really do need you. I can't do it on my own. I can't handle it on my own. I need you to work. Do you want to get well? Yes, yes, yes. I want to get well. Well, that's apparently what the man said in John chapter 5. Because the very next thing Jesus said to him is, is is get up, take up your rise, take up your mat, and walk. And the Bible says immediately, at once, verse 9 says, at once, he took up his mat, and at once, he was healed. At once, he was cured. At once, at once, at once, he heard the word of the Lord, he believed it, he got up, he took up his mat, and walked at once. It's a great story. I love that part. I can just imagine him at once picking up his mat, at once getting all excited, at once saying goodbye, at once looking at that pool saying, I don't care if you stir or not, I'm walking. At once he was healed. I, I, I think there's times when Jesus comes to us with a similar challenge. Oh, not to walk. Most of us can walk. That's not the challenge. But I think Jesus does come to us and offer you a challenge and saying, you can break that habit. You can get past your past. You can find healing and help. You can, get, you can mend that relationship. Jesus offers a challenge. And, the, and, and the, the thing for us then is to simply believe it and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you. See, here's the thing. If Jesus says that you can break a habit, you can break it. If Jesus says that you can overcome your past, you can overcome it. If Jesus says you can live a holy life, then friend, you can live a holy life. Jesus makes the way. You see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He made that lame man walk, and he can work in your life too. When Jesus says you can do it, you can do it. And that's what took place here. This guy, take up your mat and walk, and he did. And then what happens next is those people that... You know, the grumpy people came around. Hey, what are you doing? This, why are you carrying your mat? You would have thought, you know, 38 years for crying out loud. They should have said, hey, praise the Lord, you're walking. Hey, let me take that mat for you. You, you, you need some help. Hey, brother, look what's going on in your life. But they didn't say any of that stuff. Hey, it's the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to be carrying your mat. How dumb is that? Who is it that let you carry your mat? Well, I don't know. That tells us something about Jesus too, by the way. This guy didn't even know who healed him. Jesus wasn't into notoriety. He wasn't into making a name for himself. He just kind of slipped into the, I don't know. The dude just came along, walk. I picked up my mat. Started walking. I love that story. So he goes though. Immediately after those guys got all their, you know, panties in a bunch, he went to the temple. 
Which tells you, again, a little bit something about this guy. He, I think he'd been praying, he'd been praying, he'd been praying that God would somehow work in his life. 38 years, day in, day out, God somehow working in his life. When God finally did, first thing he did, picked up his mat, walking. Where'd he go? He went to the temple, probably to thank the Lord. Hallelujah, I can walk. And when he got to the temple, the Bible tells us, not that he found Jesus, but rather Jesus found him. Jesus found me too. Praise the Lord. Jesus found him. And when Jesus found him, he said something very important to him. He said, see, you are well again. See, praise the Lord, you are walking. See, that day you thought would never came has come. See, that day that you had prayed for is today. See, you're walking, you're well again. But he didn't just end it there. He said, but stop your sinning or something worse may happen to you. This guy had been sick for 38 years. He hadn't walked for 38 years. He'd been an invalid for 38 years. What in the world could be worse than that? She said, listen, your relationship with God, without having a relationship with God, that's worse. Stop your sinning or something worse. See, he, in his mind, his, the worst thing was not being able to walk. Jesus said, that's not the worst thing at all. The worst thing is if you do not have a relationship with God, stop your sinning. Can I, this is a little bit of a minefield, but I'm going to walk through it. Too often at our prayer meetings, all we are concerned about are Aunt Lulu's gout or Cousin Billy Bob's sore neck or Cousin Jimmy's, you know, sniffles. Let me tell you, there are worse things in the world than our physical well-being. And what we ought to be hitting our knees over is our kids who are wayward or our parents who have turned their backs on God or our co-workers that don't care at all about Jesus. That's what we ought to be crying over. It's not our physical well-being. Believe me, I, I wrote the book on this, literally. I get it that there's chronic pain. I get it that you sometimes struggle with life with our physical pains. But I also get this. I'm going to spend an eternity with Jesus or I'm going to spend an eternity not with Jesus. And I'd rather spend an eternity with Jesus, with him. And that's way more important than ever if I'm ever healed or not. Does that make sense? Jesus tells this guy, stop your sinning. I know you think the worst thing in the world has happened to you, but that's not the worst. The worst thing is being a, apart from me. It's the same with us. The worst thing is not, is not your physical well-being. It's making sure you're right with Jesus. Stop your sinning or something worse may happen. Well, the next thing that happens, these guys find Jesus. The ones that are all upset and in the tizzy. Finally, oh, so finally we get to the greater things part of the story. So they get to Jesus, and this is what, what the Bible says, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Crazy. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work, and to this very day, I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. Here we go. And Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing himself, for he, can only, he only does what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. To your amazement, he will show him even greater things. 
30 years, uh, 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 healing a guy who had been sick for 38 years, that's a pretty great miracle. Pretty amazing. Pretty incredible. But Jesus is saying, listen, boys, there's something even greater than that. You know, in, in John chapter 1, last week, for the three of us who were gathered, we saw that Nathaniel, that, that greater things than Nathaniel, he was a brand new believer. Jesus said, you're going to see greater things than this. John chapter 5, to his critics, to those who want him dead, to those who are persecuting him, he's giving them really theology 101. And he's saying, listen, boys, the father, my father, that got him in a tizzy, my father recognizes that this guy, this guy walking, that's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing is that he stops his sinning. And boys, he says in so many words, that's why I came. You're going to see greater things than this, greater things than a guy walking, greater things than a guy walking after 38 years. The greater things is I'm going to make a way so people can stop their sinning. Listen, we got to go. I know we got to go. We got to go. There's some people here and I know we're at Flint Central Church of the Nazarene, but you might as well be at Bethesda. And you came into church today, and you're hurting, and you're struggling. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that you have no control over. Maybe it's a sickness or disease. And I don't know why. I don't know why God heals some folks and doesn't heal others. I don't know why. I address that in the book. I say, I'm in sales, not management. I don't know. I don't know why God does what he does. I don't pretend to know. I know this. Jesus still heals. And there are people that Jesus heals. And there are people that he heals miraculously. He heals, he heals, he heals. And then there are other people that he doesn't and they don't get healed until they go to heaven. And I don't know why that is. So maybe your issue is something totally out of your control. You got a report from the doctor and the numbers stink. Maybe, maybe your situation is something totally in your control and you're in your situation because of poor choices, sinful choices, bad habits that you've made. Maybe it's partially you and partially somebody else and your relationship is messed up and it is rotten. And the bottom line is you're at Bethesda. You're here, you look good, everything seems fine on the outside, but inside you are lonely or depressed or defeated or, or messed up or beaten up or whatever. Can I say to you what Jesus said to that guy? Do you want to be well? Are, are you ready for God to work in your life? Do, do you want him to really move and do a work and change you from the inside out? I didn't know exactly how to close this service, and so I thought the best way is just to ask if you, if you want God to work in your life. And I've asked the pastors to come and help me. And we're going to anoint you if you want to be anointed. There's nothing magical in this oil. It's just olive oil from somewhere, some factory somewhere. I don't know where. There's nothing magical at all. All it does is represents the Holy Spirit's power at work. All it does is saying, Lord, I need you to work in my life. And I've tried on my own and, and, and I can't fix it. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know how to fix it. And maybe it's a healing, a physical healing, or maybe it's a relationship, or maybe it's a habit that has a grip on you, or maybe it's a sinful just indulgence that you can't break free from. I want you to know that Jesus Christ can work in your life.
Just like he worked to that lame guy in John chapter 5, he can work, he can work at once, he can work. And so we're going to sing a song. It's, it's a really great song, I think. It simply says, give me Jesus. You can have this old world, give me Jesus. You can have these old habits, give me Jesus. You can have my old past, give me Jesus. You can have my old, my old issues, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. So while we're singing, if you want to be anointed this morning, maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a, a, something just going on with a family member that you just want to be anointed on their behalf, maybe it's sinfulness in your life and you've had just had enough, you've hit rock bottom, you said enough. And when we sing this song, you can come down here and these guys, they will anoint you. You don't have to tell them everything, that you don't have to reveal your deepest, darkest secrets. If all you want to do is say, listen, i got a habit that, that I need to break, they'll pray for that. If it's a sickness, you can, you can tell them. You don't have, we don't have HIPAA laws, but if you want to tell them, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. <laughs> Jesus knows anyway. Why don't you stand? Let's sing this chorus. If you've got something going on in your life where you need Jesus to work, that's what this is about, then just come on down. Let these guys anoint you, and they'll pray a brief prayer over you. Let's sing this through. Thank you for listening. For more information on Central Church, check us out online at centralnazarene.com.